This is Daniel Fagella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. In addition to understanding use cases and trends, the leaders that we advise and the leaders who listen to our podcast here also need to have a firm understanding of what it takes to build a successful AI team in the enterprise. Whether you're writing the code or not, being able to come up with the right team composition and set their goals in the right way, execute recruiting in the right way, these are essential skills to breathing life into AI initiatives in an existing enterprise. And in this episode of the AI and Business Podcast, we focus on exactly that topic. Our guest this week is Ramprakash Ramamurthy, who is the director of AI research at Zoho Corporation. Zoho, for some of you who might not be familiar, is based around the Bay Area out in California. And the firm offers a variety of software products, including their CRM, which they're relatively well known for, their business intelligence solutions, and plenty of other solutions in their Zoho suite. And the firm does over $600 million in annual revenue. But most of those software tools weren't necessarily born with AI baked into them. Artificial intelligence is making its way into Zoho, as it is with many other established enterprises. And Ramprakash walks us through the process of building that initial data science team and finding areas within the business to be able to actually add value. What kind of collaboration is required? What kind of talent is required? And what kind of strategic thinking is required to take an existing suite of products and level them up with AI? And how does team building and the construction of an AI team facilitate that process? Uh, Ramprakash speaks with hands-on experience on this topic, and I think that his journey is indicative of that journey for many of you, whether you're as technical and hands-on as Ramprakash with the actual code, or whether you're simply someone who's going to be heading up AI initiatives or advising maybe some of your fellow leadership on how to head up their own initiatives. This should be a fruitful episode. So without further ado, let's roll right in. This is Ramprakash, the Director of AI Research at Zoho, here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Ram, I want to talk about a bit of a before and after picture. You folks, you know, Zoho has been around for, you know, decades now and lots of different products, lots of different lines of business. I think it was, I mean, you'll tell me, but close to a decade-ish ago when you guys started tinkering around with AI and maybe, you know, six years ago when it started to pick up. Can you tell us kind of how you got started with AI within that big company and then also where you are today? So maybe take us through the story a bit. Yeah, Dan. So we started off in 2011, as early as 2011, we tried doing some sentiment analysis on our customer support product. But interestingly, uh, that was uh, very difficult then. Back then it wasn't even called ML AI, it was probably called probabilistic programming, you know, uh, Bayesian programming and things like that. But later in 2014, when the ML wave started coming in again, that is when we decided to form a team. So initially, like everybody, we cracked the math. We, you know, we had pen and paper algorithm, whiteboarding algorithms. We did all the courses and so on. And then uh, we were a central team in Zoho. So we had multiple product teams. So Zoho has a, a probably 50 plus product teams. And uh, we started pitching these ML solutions to them. So interestingly, uh, Unlike an ad-driven revenue model place where all of the interaction of the user with the product would have been captured, we didn't really have that. So, so we were actually retrofitting AI into products that were close to a decade old. And now the first task was to build data pipelines in such a way that we actually get the data we need to perform AI on. We, we also have 
tools that are platforms. So for example, we have a low-code development platform. So now in order to make that low-code development platform AI ready, uh, you need to make sure you store the data in a similar format, something as trivial as a date, only when all your low-code platform users have the same date format, it's going for them to, it's going to be easy for them to create analytics on top of it. So we had this initial, uh, you know, uh, building data pipelines because of this retrofitting, because we are not a startup that were coming out with their first AI product. AI was like one of the hundred other features there in the product line. So we started off like that and initially the AI hype was all over. People were talking about self-driving cars, cancer cures and whatnot, but we latched on to really, really small use cases uh, so that AI comes in and our goal is to actually make your processes, optimize processes and improve customer experience. So that was the goal. So it could be the little things. For example, we launched a suite of AI tools in, in various capacities. So we launched a smaller uh, anomaly monitoring tool, we launched a, a, a little sentiment analysis tool and so on. But interestingly, when one of our user conferences, I met a customer who said, uh, I really love the way uh, you've done AI. Uh, we didn't go high on marketing about AI. We were like very uh, silent. And uh, it was an use case where a low-code platform had icon recommendations from AI. So it was a computer vision problem where you enter a word, you find the icon that is similar to it. Right. So, so it was a very beautiful use case that this particular customer had created a dashboard for California leads, right? So as soon as he typed in California leads, the AI system recommended the bridge icon. Hmm. So, yeah, so, yeah. For so Cal yeah. we were so happy because we went on so many use cases. We went on so many options, but we had never seen this in our development setup, but ultimately, uh, when, when, when a customer comes to you and talks about how happy that made him that very little icon recommender that put in a smile to his face that was very exciting right so so it started there and we slowly started launching off things uh, we we went on three depths we did uh, statistical machine learning we did computer vision we did natural language processing for example in in things like uh, let's say we have an expensing product where you all run a business trip and you submit expenses to your companies we had powerful ocr that can you know uh, extract data out of your uh, receipts and then actually put it into a correct format. And then uh, in our trust with NLP, we found that in B2B world, the data is always very less and you have a lot of compliance regulations to protect the data. So we had to resort for techniques like transfer learning where now let me give you an example. You have a customer support help desk. Customer support help desk sentiment analysis data sets are not widely available. right? So, so but you have a lot of publicly available data sets like Amazon's customer review data set, IMDB's movie review data set, and so on. But but the data you're talking about is in a totally different domain. So we had to bootstrap our classifier models, our sentiment analysis models from widely available data corpuses, right? So, so now we have got a powerful grammar correction, error correction and detection engine, a translation engine. The idea about Zoho is Zoho is called the operating system of business, where everything is available, you know, within the stack. So now that you have a lot of confidential data, it doesn't make sense for, for you to submit it to an outside vendor, an off-the-shelf machine learning platform and get the data translated, right? It has to happen in-house because your support help desk can actually contain everything from AWS keys to credit card information, depending on the business you are in. So now that we built this translation feature or we built this grammar 
error correction detection engine all of it is available in all of zoho's editors so so we started it off in one vertical and then horizontally spread it over so that everybody gets to use all of these ai features got it and obviously it's it sounds like that's kind of where you folks are now where you're you're building suites of capability that can be used across your many tools and sort of just making the user experience a little better a little better kind of across this this whole wide landscape. And one thing that jumps to my mind, Ram, and you've been on this journey, you know, seeing it in real time, is, you know, if I run a big company in a software firm and I'm looking to, you know, stay ahead of the curve. I'm looking to have products that win in the market. I'm looking to have customers that are really happy. I'm looking to, you know, develop something that's again gonna gonna grow my company here. AI, you know, certainly certainly is going to be part of the mix for many software tools. Obviously, you, you're talking about many little examples here. The, the question is, how do I level up my, my ML talent and teams? And then also, how do I pick my initial projects and infrastructure upgrades to actually enable those projects? My guess is you might have learned a lot of hard lessons along the way about, you know, when does hiring happen? How do we sort and prioritize projects? For you, when you think about what you've learned in terms of taking a big software company and really leveling up your product suite and being beginning to integrate AI and ML, what are the lessons of, of success or maybe the pitfalls that you really think are the most important for business people to understand? Perfect. Man. So I think the one thing that we have been looking towards is putting our head down and getting to work rather than be overwhelmed by the hype around. Uh, especially initially, the days when we started, the fear of missing out was really high. And we were a two-member team that actually started the AI work in our labs. And uh, so, so there were a few difficult choices that we had to make. For example, uh, we are primarily a JVM-based company. And most of the new AI tools that came in was in Python. But then we had to lower the uh, tools that were available on the JVM platform because you have everything there. You have security for free. You have storage for free when you actually do it on JVM. But with a two-member team, when you when you are overwhelmed by the newer technologies there and you go with Python, you'll have to build the security, you'll have to build the storage, you'll have to build the web server, and so on. So when we started off, we just went with the uh, you know really not so cool AI frameworks that were available, and we have been consistently looking at the market for for you know potential improvements. For example, things like better AI with lower data. AI inference with smaller amounts of time are never going to go out of fashion, right? So we invest a lot of things in this, the, the vertical of AI, not just the horizontal. So now probably we are we have experiments running on uh, causal AI, AI that can actually, that does not really work on correlation, but also on causation. And we are probably also working on projects where you can get AI on device, right? So without having a, without the need for an internet connectivity. And now all of these are really, you know, really data intensive, compute intensive problems. So staying level headed is the key, right? Putting our heads down and being not carried away by the hype. And uh, as far as the team, yeah. So, so given how AI is so hot, the idea behind finding, taking one problem. And I, I remember 2017, Gartner had a stat which said 85% of AI projects don't see light of the day. But it has been the different case here. 85% of our projects have seen the light of the day. The initial traction was maybe low, but then you slap an explanation to it. You, you see that because our customers have been using the products for decades and 
all of a sudden there is something that gives them recommendations on the face they are going to take it at a really slower place pace and unlike consumer setup let's say there is a social networking and uh, there is a friend recommendation for you you are the only person who is going to you know take action on it but most cases in the enterprise have teams of people acting on the decision that is being taken because we are actually moving away the last decade was all about you know process automation but now we are moving into decision automation where ai takes these decisions and they are being acted upon by teams of people right so you have processes that are already well defined even when development we had this problem we are moving from a deterministic to a probabilistic world let me explain whenever a programmer brute forces he is considered to be a bad programmer but when a data scientist brute forces he is considered to be a very good data scientist because all of can you break that down what you mean by brute force in both contexts yeah so 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 when you when you when i say brute forcing it means trying to randomly figure out things and and you arrive at an answer right so when you are a programmer and you brute force an answer you are considered a very bad programmer but when you are a data scientist and you deploy a convolutional neural network or a recurrent neural network the way it does is brute forces it randomly you know tries to have some intermediate values and finds out the answer and finally it chooses the best random set of intermediaries so that you get the best answer every time you run an inference to it so so traditionally we are moving from a very deterministic so programmers were deterministic now now they are becoming probabilistic the same way at the end where people consume ai systems it's going to be a very probabilistic case again so now think about it uh, you had a crm system where it talks about uh, the chance of this person converting right the chance of this this lead becoming your customer so ideally you need to define workflows around the probabilistic nature of this for example if there is an 80% chance that this user is going to leave then you might want to look into his profile and see where he needs help or why is he going to leave now there is a 60% chance which is now your workflow will be different i hope you get it right so so now yeah. there is a probability element that is coming in think of it from a help desk perspective there is a 60% chance that this ticket is going to be escalated right when there is a 90% chance that this is going to be escalated you better look into it and solve this issue really fast right so 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 this deterministic shift in processes that were built around enterprise software to has to you know imbibe the probabilistic nature of it and uh, that is when real ai would reach out to people and would help optimize their processes and the way i'm thinking about this ram is you know all these different examples you're talking about you know the the probability of users being frustrated with some part or function within within a software tool there's an unlimited number of these obviously right that you could make drastic changes to the products you could make small changes you could build this feature you could build that feature you know you could train the feature on this set of data versus that set of data you know the, the really sort of overly simplified way that that I would think about this is okay you get your data scientists in the room you get some subject matter experts in the room you understand what the c suite thinks is most critical in terms of strategy and then you organize the projects based on potential for upside you know and and also based on maybe resource and time requirements and then you you just plot them and then you start picking the ones at the top right that you think are really going to you know be the be the best options for first projects of course it's probably much more complicated than that what have you learned about prioritizing limited data science resources you know that the talent is not cheap the compute is not cheap making errors is not cheap you know what does it look like to think of all the things you could do with ml in a big company and then pick up 
So our team is internally called labs, but uh, generally the theory is that we're not an ivory tower research place. So find out those little minimum viable pieces that actually see the light of the day. Get some feedback, see how users perceive it, see how our, our own internal product teams perceive it. And you first ship it. So, so ideally, we would start off with the smallest of problems and then build on top of it. So that is what happened in our, uh, let's say, our, our grammar engine and uh, translation engines, where we started off with very little uh, NLP modules where a support, test, a support ticket comes in, identify what it talks about. Now, let's say you're running a phone support company. Uh, does it talk about camera? Does it talk about Wi-Fi? Does it talk about poor network reception? Uh, in spite of it not having the word camera itself, it should be able to detect that it is talking about camera. Now, let's say my low light photo quality is very poor. This is, this is the ticket you get in from your customer. Now, you will have to tag it as the uh, you know camera module, and then you need to build uh, workflows around it. So, so you need to know who are all the experts in solving camera problems. Now, this is a ticket from a person A. He has had a better equation or a better satisfaction rating with this particular agent. Now, you look at this this agent schedule. Is he, you know, good enough to take up this ticket so that the SLA is not violated? Right. So, so like I said, you start off with little pieces. Identify, for example, the help desk example. Identify what is it talking about. Then, then you have one another uh, AI use case where. You look at the user schedule and try to see if he if, if he's free, try to see if he, if you can fit that ticket inside. Then there's one another module that predicts SLA violation prediction, right? So now at some point you build you build 10 little pieces that when looked at it can be really powerful, right? So so we started off from there and, and our text engine actually matured enough to see grammar, to see translation. So starting off small is the uh, one thing that I have learned in the last eight years or so, and uh, that has really paid off. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of credence to that. I think that what we found is a lot of the vendor companies who sell to big companies end up having a lot of success when they can really integrate somewhat seamlessly into existing workflows as opposed to radically transforming them. And it sounds like for internal projects, obviously, that's also an easier way to get traction. Any closing thoughts, Ram, about how to pick those small projects? You said, oh, we're looking for low-hanging fruit. Well, there's 5 million potential low-hanging fruit. Who needs to be in the room? What's the thought process to pick? Okay, this software suite, we're going to take these two features and try to build them in a small way. Or um, you know, this customer problem, we're going to try to address it in this way. H how do we weigh those against each other? Because you know, these small things you're talking about, there's, there's too many of them. How do we boil it down and feel confident about our decision? Okay. Uh, one thing would be you look at your past and see where your skills are. And especially in a tech company like ours, we find out the uh, you know right product that can quickly ship out these features and get the customer feedback. So, so the primary goal is close your eyes and I'll have to make sure this is going to see the light of the day. That was the goal. So now that actually narrows down to you know even more uh, fewer things. And, and then you take the easiest of the lot where uh, which, which one do you have the computational power for? Which one do you primarily have the data for? And especially when AI is going to come in, data is one important integral part of the equation. So even though if you don't have the right data, can I really bootstrap data like the case of the sentiment analysis we talked about before where we have to bootstrap it from other domains to suit our domain. So availability 
of resources that can quickly get your AI model to the customer is one. Availability of data that is ready or that can be prepared is one. And there can be cases where certain uh, modules that needs to run on-premises. So, so if you, you cannot probably ship a neural network to your on-premises setup, right? So now the deployment angle. So how easy is it to deploy it into the broader equation? Now, once you have these three things, it, it narrows down to the right set of use cases. Got it. Okay. So hopefully that's going to be a framework of thinking that for those of you tuned in, you can use to some degree in your business as well. Ram, I know you've learned a lot of lessons over the years with Zoho. It's really cool to be able to have you sharing some of those with us on the podcast. I know that's all we had for time in the second interview, but thanks again so much for being able to join us. Thank you very much, Dan. It was a pleasure. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. I should mention, I didn't mention it in the intro here, we have a short PDF brief for folks who are beginning with artificial intelligence. So if you're starting off on your enterprise transformation journey, or you're helping enterprises transform because you're a consultant or a vendor of some kind, you can download our Beginning with AI guide. This is three critical insights for non-technical professionals. So if you don't write code, but you still want to be able to get started with AI and help facilitate that adoption with uh, the right best practice then you can download our free PDF brief. It is at emerj.com slash B-E-G-1. That's B-E-G like beginning, and then the number one, B-E-G-1. So again, we'll wrap things up here. A big thanks to Rampakash for being with us, and a big thanks to you for listening all the way through to the end of this episode. I look forward to catching you in the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast.